Is it possible to be a great digital marketing generalist? Welcome to Digital Marketing Radio, episode number 177. DigitalMarketingRadio.com Broadcasting live on the Digital Marketing Radio Facebook page. This is this weekly show that prizes actionable advice from today's top digital marketers. Sign up to watch the next show live at DigitalMarketingRadio.com The Big Interview with David Bain Hello, I'm David Bain and today I'm joined by someone who's worked as a digital marketing expert both in-house and agency side for a number of different companies. And when he's not working his regular job, you might be able to find him being a casual tour guide based in Melbourne, Australia. Welcome to DMR, the head of digital at ID Collective, Ben Oliver. Hi, David. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for coming along, Ben. Well, you can find Ben over at idcollective.com.au. So, Ben, tell us about these Melbourne tours. <laughs> we'll start with the tours, okay. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, many years ago, I took a bit of a career break and I lived in London um, for a couple of years. We were just talking before and um, on the way home, I wasn't quite ready to get back into the real world. So I actually got a job um, as a tour guide in Europe with a company called Busabout. Um, it's sort of like a Kentucky Top Deck sort of style company and um, did that for a season and then uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. And then when I came back to the real world, didn't want to do it full time, but then um, thought I might just do it casually on the weekends. Um, partly for a bit of extra cash, but also just because it's quite enjoyable showing people around the city. So, uh, yeah, I just do that um, one or two tours every weekend when I'm not working at ID Collective full-time. So it uh, keeps you busy. <laughs> but, of course, we're talking about whether it's possible to be a great digital marketing generalist today. So um, do you think that you need to specialise if you want to have the best career possible or um, can you be a successful generalist? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it, I think it really depends on where you see yourself heading in the future. I think for most, I think for most juniors, when you start out, it, it is good to specialise and have a particular field that you want to become a real expert in. Um, I think as you progress in your career, you're going to find um, you, you can either stay on that particular track, whether that's SEO or social or or UX or whatever that might be. But I think um, at, at one point, particularly if you want to get into more of a management um, management role, your, your role will, will inevitably change to become more of a, of a generalist. And also, as you find when you move into that management role, that you're going to have a lot more time dedicated to that management side of things. Um, I know here certainly um, probably more than half my time is spent just managing the team, um, making sure that they've got what they need. Um, you know, it, it's just that sort of soft um, touch kind of management stuff. But um, yeah, I, th I think it is possible to stay as a, as a specialist and, and either do that agency or in-house. But if you, I think if you want to move into management, you probably need to know more about the other disciplines and how they all sort of connect together. So you say that social media marketing and content strategy are your areas of, of particular strength. Mm. How did you end up actually selecting those areas to, to, to focus on? Yeah, so for me, I started my career as a journalist. So I came from a print and radio journal background, um, did that for a number of years. And I suppose for me, when I decided to make the leap across to PR, my first initial leap was into the media relations side of things because it was the most, it was the easiest um, transition to, to move into. And then having did that for a little while, I then decided I really hated um, begging journos to do my stories, um, particularly when some of them were actually good friends. <laughs> um, there's nothing more humiliating than calling up a mate and saying, look, I know this is really terrible but would you just please do me like 15 cc um anyway and then um did that for a little while and then i think for me the transition into social media made sense because it's it's content driven um and i think for me is with a journal background and a, and a background in storytelling and, and producing content the social media side of it appealed to me because i like the fact that you could 
um, tell stories uh, in in visual ways as, as well as um, as well as through other types of content. So I think for me that that made the most sense moving into social purely because of my content background, I guess. And what about if you're speaking to someone who is maybe just getting started in digital and they like so many different areas? How would you advise them on actually selecting the area to focus on first? Yeah, I mean, definitely, if you're not sure which one you, you want to fall into, I mean, for me, it, it made sense to go into social. Um, I I was obviously on social and I, I, I'd done a little bit um, for companies before, but to me, it made sense to move in there. So I, I was very clear that that's what I wanted to move into as a specialist area. But for a lot of people who are coming through and you're not really sure, I guess I'd recommend trying a little bit of everything, um, particularly if you're doing a university degree and you no doubt are doing your internships. Um, go to as many agencies and actually request to spend time in their particular um, specialist areas. I mean, not all agencies have a specialist in-house SEO or a specialist social or UX or whatever, but um, at least try to touch a bit of everything uh, as early on as you can. And then I think fairly early on, once you've got a sense of all those different disciplines, you should eventually get a sense of where you want to go in the future. If you feel like you don't want to specialise, it is okay to be a generalist, but at least market yourself that way. Um, as a generalist, you won't have the depth of knowledge of some of those specialists. But there's also there's a, there's a bonus in that um, side of it as well is that if you can be a really good generalist to be able to know how the, the way it was described to me once was you may not how you may not know how the water flows through the pipes but you know at least how the pipes fit together and if you if you can explain to a client how the SEO connects up with your content how your social connects with your website and your EDM if you can explain all those parts work together then you don't necessarily need to know the the nuts and bolts of the tactical if you can find good people to implement that stuff for you. I love that quote there. Hopefully it fits into a tweet there and I can uh, <laughs> tweet it afterwards. <laughs> yeah. um, so it would be good to feel to, to, to get a feel for a few tactics that, that you're actually implementing at the moment. So, I mean, with social and with content, uh, are there any particular networks that are really effective to be on at the moment? Um, yeah. Have you got a couple of examples, perhaps? Sure. Um, one thing we find quite interesting um, is watching what happens in the UK and the US in particular. Um, what One particular channel I'd probably say we don't use a lot of that we are seeing a lot overseas is Twitter. Um, Twitter in Australia hasn't grown for about two years. Um, there's about 2.5, 2.8 million people using it, but they're not really using it that frequently. And we, we're seeing it as an engagement channel really drop off for brands. Um, these days, we would only recommend using Twitter for our brands if they have a really strong uh, customer service need, so purely as a social listening and responding to queries and complaints sort of style role rather than um, as an engagement channel with uh, sort of as, as a content-driven channel, I suppose. So that's been a big change because obviously a lot of journos use Twitter and therefore they write about Twitter a, lo a lot and they use it as part of their story. So I think a lot of brands have a bit of a... Um, an unrealistic expectation about what Twitter can achieve, at least from a customer engagement um, point of view. For customer service, I think it's still fantastic for and for and for brand sentiment and listening. But we don't really use it for engagement. We we use Instagram um, as a, as you know, alongside Facebook. Um, the other one we've been getting into a lot more is obviously Snapchat. Um, Snapchat is, is a tricky one for a lot of our clients because obviously there's a lack of um, third party platforms um, for content management um, for something like an Instagram or a Facebook. There's a million platforms out there. But from what I'm aware of, there's only one or maybe two platforms that actually allow you to um, upload and schedule uh, content uh, on Snapchat. And uh, none of them are actually officially approved by Snapchat. So you can use them, but then run the risk of falling foul of their of their uh, T and Cs. So um, 
Yeah, I mean, we, we certainly will do Snapchats for certain activations and campaigns where we'll actually run a Snapchat for a client. But as an always-on piece, um, we usually say to a client, look, we're happy to set a strategy for you, but then let you guys actually do the stuff in-house. Because, you you know, you're, you're at the company, you're seeing things happening regularly, um, and that's yeah, usually what we recommend. So can Snapchat and Instagram be right for any brand targeting any markets, or are you finding that the age range for those kind of networks is still fairly young? Yeah, I think it's fairly young, particularly Snapchat. Snapchat's definitely younger than Instagram. Um, we're seeing Instagram now. It's a little bit like Facebook years ago, where Facebook now, I mean, you know, I'm 33, and and when I first got into Facebook, I was, you know, how old was I, 20, 23, 24? And so we're sort of obviously Facebook has now moved on to that older demographic. And Instagram, which once was that real kind of 18 to 25, we're seeing that is now moving more into the sort of the late 20s. And um, But even then, there's still a younger contingent that use Instagram. And the same for Facebook for that matter. But um, I'd say as a general overview, uh, Snapchat is certainly younger than Instagram, which is younger than Facebook. Um, although what we're also seeing is with the rise of Instagram stories, a lot of people who were doing Instagram stories and Snapchat are now migrating across to Instagram stories, partly because they've got two functions in one app and it just it's just an easier way of, of doing things. Um, and Facebook are rolling out some of the functionality that um, Snapchat has around Facebook filters and that kind of thing. I read they were experimenting, uh, was it in Denmark? I think they were experimenting with some face filter stuff for, for um, that's very similar to Snapchat. So it's, um, it's going to be interesting to see. We have this debate in the office all the time whether Snapchat is basically gone because of Instagram stories. So it's interesting to watch. So is there still a place for long-form content? Or do you think the attention span of many people consuming content is shrinking? So the length or size of content that you actually produce and publish has got to be reduced because of that? Yeah, I think so. And depending on whether you're a B2C or B2B, I think um, I've done done B2B and B2C agency side. And I think particularly the appetite for long-form content, B2B, seems to be stronger, um, mostly because the decision makers are doing probably more research before they go on to make a uh, purchase decision. On B2C, I think, yeah, brevity is is, is best, um, particularly with something like video. Um, if we're doing video content for clients, you know, we wouldn't recommend more than 60 seconds. And if you can sort of fit it into a nice 30-second chunk, um, you know, with a, with, with closed captions, obviously, because no one has audio these days on, um, that, that's best. Um, but again, I think it's really around uh, making sure that you know what your audience is after. But yeah, as a very general overview, I'd say B2B is probably prefers long for, longer form content than B2C. Got you, got you. Um, I was at an event recently and they were saying for Facebook video, it's a visual-led medium. So absolutely what you need to have is is big captions and words on there to actually get people to interact with that and hopefully listen to what you're saying as well as actually as, 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 as read what you're saying. But YouTube, they yeah. were saying, is largely audio-led and people play those videos and perhaps play them for longer but have it on in the background. What's your experience with YouTube as well? Yeah, I mean, look, we uh, with the rise of video content on Facebook, we've um, we've mostly been focusing our our, con- our video content on Facebook. Um, we'll do a little bit on YouTube as well, but we we find um, particularly now that, that the Facebook algorithm prefers video and especially Facebook Live video, we've been placing. Um, I mean, and you can do both. You can place your content on YouTube and place it on Facebook. Um, but one of the mistakes we used to make um, a while ago was uh, do a link to our to a client's YouTube. Um, 
page on Facebook and Facebook doesn't particularly like like it when you sort of do those kind of links. So um, I, I think there's still a place for both. Um, again, depending on the content form, sometimes you'll need to make modifications to make it more YouTube friendly. My, my impression of YouTube is it seems to be more desktop driven than Facebook video, which is more, more mobile driven. Um, but there's always exceptions to that, to that as well. Yes, you you need to follow what's right for your industry and also follow your follow your gut as well, rather than actually necessarily listening to everyone. I mean, I've published mm. several videos on on YouTube that are very long, like a couple of seminars that are maybe two and a half hours long or something like that, and and one of them's got over a hundred thousand views. So that is doing very well indeed. And the conventional wisdom on YouTube is you no know, publish videos that are less than five minutes and make it snappy. But if the content's good. Mm people will watch for longer as well. Yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. And, and particularly um, in certain industries where um, people are looking for thought leadership and they're looking for in-depth analysis. And I think particularly with video, they're more likely to, to watch the long-form stuff on YouTube than Facebook, given that it's um, – unless you're searching out a brand on Facebook, which most of, most of the time these days it's about the newsfeed on Facebook, whereas YouTube is still very much – intent driven so if you have an intention to find a certain piece of content it, it goes to it stands to reason that you are going to spend more time wanting to consume that piece of content than you would on facebook yeah one brand kind of social led brand if, if, if you can call it that that we don't hear about anymore hardly is google plus yeah. <laughs> what do you think is 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 google playing at with regards to its attempt to be successful in the social sphere is—is is it going to be successful in the future? Do you think, or do you think it will retrench back into search and, and paid advertising? Yeah, I mean, it always comes back to what we we're talking before about um, being digital um, generalists. You know, and I kind of think with Google, they're—they're they're, they're trying to be that that generalist that they're covering all those bases. Um, I mean, they've tried with social; it, it hasn't hasn't worked. Um, I mean. It, I think that the most that Google Plus got up to in Australia was something like 80,000 um, members. Which I mean, that these are I don't know. I mean, that they're ridiculously low if you believe those stats. But from um, a company called Social Media News Australia that does regular updates on on membership of top social platforms. Um, so I don't know. Look, I'm, I'm always a bit skeptical when a, a company that does one thing well tries to do another thing well. Uh, another example of that would be uh, Hootsuite. Um, Hootsuite's probably the most use dashboard for, for social content um, management and um, they've, they've sort of bought all these additional um, extras like um, uh, Sugar for their CR uh, and then uh, what's the other one, uh, Uberview is their social listening and they never quite do it as well as they do their core product. Um, look, if you know, if I I've, if I've got a job at Google or if they wanted any advice, which I'm sure they don't, <laughs> but um, I think uh, I, I, I would say they should probably stick to the, the search and display but who knows, I mean they've they're not they're not stupid people if they can find a way to make social work they will but it's i mean i think even digital marketers are, are quite amazed that google hasn't been able to crack um social yet so who knows so what are your personal ways of actually staying up um to date with all the latest trends or the latest things that are happening in digital marketing in general yeah um so i read a lot um part of my morning routine is to get in and make sure i'm looking at social times um that i'm looking at you know convincing convert hubspot i've got a fantastic blog as well um what else marketing dive and i, I probably spend a good half an hour to an hour most days if i can just, just reading as much as possible making notes taking note of new tools that i can check out later um the other way i, I love to run and the other way i love to stay in touch is with podcasts 
Um, so I, of course, listen to DMR, um, among other podcasts. Um, and uh, so I think for me, and I think this also comes down to what kind of learner you are. Um, I find that I consume information better when I'm actually listening to it on a pod- podcast. Um, so, I mean, and also the, the length of the podcast helps as well. So Neil Patel, um, there's a fantastic um, podcast, The Marketing School, which I really love because it's only eight minutes each one. So if you, if you miss them, you can go back and knock off a couple in, in, at one go or you can, you know, just spend eight minutes every day getting another quick pointer. But um, for me, yeah, primarily podcasting and just um, pretty much every blog I can get my hand on. And then um, there's also a couple of great um, uh, Facebook groups as well in Australia um, that I sort of uh, subscribe to and, and keep in touch with what's going on. So probably those are the three ways I stay up to date. Great. Okay. Well, checks in the post read the DMR mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just to conclude this particular section, um, what are your thoughts on how digital marketing teams are structured now and how that may change in the future? Do you think, by and large, job roles are going to change much in the future or, or stay much, by and large as, as they are at the moment? Yeah. I mean, I know particularly for us as an agency, um, most of our digital guys are, are generalists. Um, they, can, they can they do great content. They can also community manage. They can do the advertising. Um, my feeling is in the future, it'll probably get more specialised. I think um, the way that the industry is moving, uh, and it has been moving for so long, it's just things are moving so quickly. And I think if you want to be, um, I mean, as an agency as a whole, you'll present a united front and being a, a, a digital marketing generalist but then internally you'll have your particular areas of expertise you'll have you have your head of seo and sem you'll have your head of social you'll have your you know you'll have your head of departments to kind of making sure they're staying on top of things and then below that you'll have the guys who do the tactical that's how i see it happening from an agency point of view and certainly a lot of agencies are already structured that way um i think um to have the tactical guys being across all the different elements is just it's just too bloody hard um i mean Social alone is a, is a full-time job working in and trying to stay on top of it alone if you're trying to keep on top of uh, SEO as well. From an in-house perspective, I mean, I've read a lot of articles from fairly senior marketing managers talking about well, bemoaning the fact they can't find general um, experts slash specialists. So people who they can hire, who they can just go, right, here's your social, here's your EDM, here's your display. Um, I also want you to redesign on the website, kind of expecting that digital's you know, easy, and you can you can you can kind of do all these things to an expert level. And I, I, I mean, I hope that's not the general understanding. But my fear is that there's still maybe a lack of understanding from an internal marketing perspective of just how specialised all these different areas are. And that if you want to do them well, you either have to hire people in house who um, only do one or maybe two roles. Um, and if you can find a unicorn that can do three or four, then more luck to you. But or you have to go to an agency who can then provide those specialist services within within their sort of branches. So um, positive feature for agencies. Um, it's not the case where everything's going to move in house in the future because there are so there going to be so many different things to do. It's just going to be a nightmare to attempt to do everything yourself. Well, yeah, and a lot of it will also be driven by um, macro and microeconomic factors. So, not even so much about where the industry is going, but um, you'll you'll see that the I mean, as it always has been the case, when things move in house or, or agency, uh, a lot of the time it tends to reflect what's happening with the broader economy. Um, I know certainly um, Australia was funny; we didn't really suffer too badly from the GFC, but the psychology of the GFC certainly affected how um, brands look at their marketing budgets. And what we've certainly seen is that. Even though 2008 was a long time ago, we still haven't seen um, CMOs and CEOs really 
go back to what it was to pre-2008 in terms of their marketing spend. And there's certainly still the conservatives in here about how much money they spend, which obviously affects whether they go agency or in-house. Um, I think a lot of companies still see in-house as being a cost-saving measure. Um, and one thing that we try and talk about is that, um, A, it actually may not be a cost-saving measure because particularly if you're looking for a social media um, coordinator or, or a community manager, I mean, you're probably still looking at, you know, a good $50,000, $60,000 per year to get someone half decent, even someone who's only got one or two years' experience, when you could probably spend roughly that kind of money with an agency and you get the bonus of getting access to all the tools and the technology and then people like myself to talk to. So um, from a cost-saving perspective, I think that's a bit of a fallacy that agency is always more expensive. depends whether you go. I mean, if, you, if you're looking to go with one of the bigger boys, then that may be a lot different. But I think cost-saving is probably a fallacy. And then I think um, expertise, I, I don't think you're ever going to get the expertise, um, generally speaking, in-house, you can get an agency because – in-house, you'll have one person, whereas obviously agency, you're going to have access to an entire team of people who can brainstorm ideas and for that creativity piece as well. Great thoughts. Um, well, in a moment, we're going to be moving to the second part of our discussion where I'll be asking Ben about the software that he couldn't live without. But first of <laughs> all, thank you for the iTunes review from El Latini. He or she said, I love listening to the show. I feel like marketing podcasts can get a little dry at times and David's easy breezy style keeps things interesting and on point. Definitely add this one to your faves. El Latini, easy breezy, thank you very much. Let's segue into the second part of our discussion and that focuses on Ben's thoughts on where digital marketing has been and where it's heading. So starting off with... Software I couldn't live without. So Ben, what software do you currently use in your business that if someone took away from you, it would significantly impact your marketing success? I'm going to be really boring here and I'm going to say Microsoft Excel. <laughs> um, I know that Excel has its limitations and you'll eventually get to a point where you need a Tableau or something more powerful, more substantial. But Excel, when you know how to use it, is such an incredibly powerful piece of software. And I'm probably guilty of only really working out Excel in the last uh, year or so about just how much you can actually do with Excel um, to a point. Um, eventually, you get to a stage where your computer's memory is cactus and you have to look at um, other solutions. But I think um, one of the things that we did earlier this year was um, we, we were looking at overhauling our social reporting and um, we, we spent a lot of time looking around at third-party providers and, and there are some fantastic companies out there, but none of them did quite what I wanted them to or they focused on what we thought were the wrong metrics or um, one of my bugbears is with these third-party platforms is spitting out data but not allowing the analysts to actually add their text over to try and um, tell a story behind the data. There's nothing worse than giving a client a whole bunch of numbers and not being able to say this is what this means or this is why this happened. And that's a, just a personal bugbear of mine that you can't actually edit this data spew that comes out of it. Um, so we actually just built our own in Excel and um, we could tailor it exactly how we wanted it. We could leave space in for the commentary and um, and so far it's working working really well. Um, I do appreciate eventually it'll get to a stage where we have to look at it at a more advanced solution. But um, in the meantime, it's been it's been a, a easy solution for us. It's normally like a head of SEO or something like that. You'd you'd, you'd hear that kind of um, software selection from. So it's interesting that it's coming from you as well. But obviously you're uh, in, into multiple areas of digital marketing. What about the fact that um, Excel is a standalone program. I mean, do you use that downloaded version of Excel? Do you use the online version? Have you been tempted by Google Sheets at all? Um, I think a lot of the time it just comes down to using what you know. And mm. um, I, I've done I've done a little bit of, of Google Sheets, but I think 
I keep coming back to Excel, and we did, we we uh, mostly use the the downloaded um, version um, primarily. But um, it, it uh, you know, I'm, look, eventually again, I'll have to um, look at different solutions. But um, for the time being, for what it's doing, it's effective. It's it's relatively easy, and um, it's actually a lot more powerful than people people give it credit for um, often. So yeah, no, for the time being, Excel has been been great for us. Okay, here's a slightly more challenging question. That is, what piece of software don't you use, but you've heard good things about and you intend to try at some point in the near future? Yeah, um, I came across a tool about uh, about a year ago called um, Maverick. Uh, it's called M, I think it's M-A-V-R-K. Um, Maverick got across my radar when I, we were doing some research on influencer marketing tools and um there's been a bit of a, uh, as you and your your listeners might know, there's been a bit of a push last couple of years uh, away from um, targeting or working primarily with big influencers, with the you know the the half a million or or a million or two million followers, and moving more towards um, what they call mid level or micro influencers. Um, a lot of the research coming out now suggests that you'll actually get um, much better engagement rates, um, much better uh, cost per engagement, um, and actually much better bang for your buck. So Maverick is one of these platforms that allows you to leverage your your micro influences. So I haven't, I've, I've kind of spent a bit of time looking at it, but essentially, from what I understand of the tool, it allows you to um, first of all do analysis of your um, your social platforms and find the people who don't have um, huge followings but are incredibly active in in your community, whether they're sharing or just engaging a lot, and then being able to then activate them um, in various ways, either by perhaps you know feeding them content or um, rewarding them in some kind of way. So I think um, it's a space we're really keen to get more into. And I think um, from what I've seen of Maverick, it looks like a really cool tool. So yeah, keen to use that in the future. Great. Okay. And it's one tool that hasn't been recommended before or hasn't been mentioned before. So that's always a great one to get. So I'll hunt the the link to that one down and uh, include that in the show notes at digitalmarketingradio.com. But let's move on to... I wish I would have. So I'd like you to look back on the very first day that you're involved in trying to market a business online. What didn't you do so well? What do you wish that you would have done differently? Um, probably goes back to a bit of my old journal background. Um, just doing enough research, um, probably jumping straight into the, the strategy and thinking about what I would do tactically instead of actually spending a lot of time going back and, and doing proper research. Um, not, not just understanding the, the business properly, um, which a lot of people don't spend enough time on. I mean, you know, I think deep diving into a business in itself as a research component is so incredibly important. And it's one thing that uh, I think a lot of agencies perhaps don't do as well as they could have. But researching the industry, researching competitors, just spending a lot of time understanding the landscape before jumping into the strategy and, and the tactical. Um, people who know me know I'm incredibly impatient and um, I just love to get shit done. And I think particularly when I was younger, it, that was a bit of a, a problem of mine that I'd always just jump into it and just, oh, here's the strategy and this is what we're going to do tactically without appreciating that, um, you know, and again, going back to my old journal background, one of my old bosses used to say to me that when you're putting together an article, it's probably 80% research, 20% um, actual writing time. And I think much of the same could be applied when putting together a strategy for your business. I think once you've got, once you've done the research and you've done the landscape, the strategy actual writing part shouldn't actually take you that much time. It's the, the research that really should take up the bulk of what you're doing. 80% of the time sharpening the saw, 20% of the time cutting down the tree. Yep, exactly right. Yep. The this or that round. So this is the quick response round. Ten quick questions. Just two rows here. 
Try not to think about the answer too much, and you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion, so use it wisely. Ready to go? Let's do it. Email or Twitter? Email. Facebook or LinkedIn? Facebook. Mobile or desktop? Mobile. Email marketing or web retargeting? (sighs) Web retargeting. Website or app? Uh, Website. Paid search or SEO? SEO. Quality or quantity? Quality every time. Email contact form or telephone number? Uh, Email contact form. Social subscriber or email subscriber? Email subscriber. And local marketing or global marketing? I'm going to say local. No, both there, a couple of mutters. You, you might have noticed, um, listening to a few previous episodes, as you have done, I've, I've switched around a few um, options yeah, there. Yeah, I saw that. Google Plus is gone now. What happened to Google Plus? Well, exactly. <laughs> I think that's what everyone's been asking for the last few months. <laughs> um, was that the right thing to do, to get rid of Google Plus questions, you think? Yeah, but actually, I was going to say, the, the Facebook LinkedIn one is an interesting comparison because I think... A lot of businesses, particularly B2B, are very keen and quick to jump on LinkedIn as their primary platform to communicate um, with their audiences uh, on LinkedIn. I would always say don't make that assumption. Um, In fact, um, Facebook, um, you can reach your audience, a business audience on Facebook. You've just got to make sure you've got the right content. Um, A a case study I like to use is um, many years ago I ran a um, a social advertising campaign for a client who was doing an initial public offering. And um, we actually advertised, uh, the, the idea was to drive traffic to a website where they would fill in a form um, to then uh, have them sent the, the documents they would sign to register their interest in this IPO. And so the idea was to basically um, send as much web traffic as we could. So we used LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook uh, to help drive traffic. And when we did the analysis after, we found not only did Facebook drive more traffic, but it also drove more highly qualified traffic as well. So the people who were going from Facebook were not only... Um, We'll be getting more of them and, and cheaper as well, but they were also more likely to actually download the put their, their details into the form and download it. Um, we thought it would be inverse. We thought LinkedIn would lead, then Twitter, then Facebook, but it was actually the exact opposite way. And the cost, the the, the CPL for LinkedIn was something outrageous. Like I think Facebook was less than a dollar, and, and LinkedIn was sort of heading up towards six or seven. So um, when we said to the client, "Look, we're just going to run all three and see how they go," and even they were quite shocked. So. Um, I think, yeah, don't LinkedIn people know is quite expensive. So I think always keep in mind that you can reach your audience in many different ways. You would think that LinkedIn has a lot of potential. I mean, do you think that the the purchase of LinkedIn from Microsoft is, is going to make much difference in the business? And obviously LinkedIn have um, launched um, their retargeting pixel quite recently yep, as yep. well. Yeah, yeah. What are your thoughts on what LinkedIn is likely to do or evolve over the next couple of years in terms of its um, advertising proposition? Yeah, look, the retargeting pixel I think is long overdue, and I think that that will get that'll that'll get marketers looking at LinkedIn again as a way to reach their audience. Um, but part of the problem with LinkedIn again comes down to how people use the platform. Um, the, the data I've seen on LinkedIn, this is Australian data, so you can take this with a, with a grain of salt. But I mean, most people in Australia who are on LinkedIn, and there's about 3.5 million um, on LinkedIn, so it's actually the second most popular platform behind Facebook on 15, that um, most people are logging in only once a month. 
And you compare that with um, Instagram, which is sort of four or five times a day and, and Facebook um, at least once a day. Um, so all the, all the new tools and the new pixels and retargeting in the world won't make a scrap of difference if people aren't going onto the platform. So I think um, Microsoft's biggest challenge with LinkedIn is not so much, look, the, the tools will certainly get marketers looking back at it again to see maybe this is something we should look at. But if they're finding that people aren't using the platform or they're just on there for, for job hunting, then it's not going to help them get it back up to where they think it should be. Um, I mean, LinkedIn's move to content has been has been great um, from a thought leadership point of view, but whether that's translated to uh, brands wanting to use it, yes and no, I guess. But um, oh, that's the biggest problem is getting people to go in there every day. And at the moment, I just don't think they're doing that. Yes, I mean, they have their thought leadership network where they've given mm. those people access to be able to do things like publishing video. And you would have thought that um, LinkedIn would be a yep. wonderful place to be able to publish video, to share seminars and, and thought leadership, but but for everyone. And I hope that LinkedIn does get video, video right for business. And if it does do, yep. you would imagine that many more people would spend a lot more time on it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh, look, who knows? I mean, um, I think for LinkedIn, uh, the, uh, I wonder. Yeah, I'm really curious to see what Microsoft does. I mean, they've been moving in the right direction anyway with content and and video as as a key part of that. So, um, again, a little bit like Google with their social. I, I don't know where it's going to go, but again, very smart people at Microsoft. So we'll uh, we wait and see. The ten thousand dollar question. If I was to give you ten thousand dollars and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on, and how would you measure success? Um, I'd probably. I mean, every instinct of me is like social media advertising, but I'm probably thinking more. Um, again, market research. Um, one of the things that I've found over the years is that the the failure of a, of a product or a brand rarely comes down to the marketing. Well, it can come down to bad marketing, but I think often what happens is something isn't working because of the core product not not being correct, whether it's um, the product itself or whether it's where it's being placed or it's price or whatever. So I think for me, I'd want to be absolutely sure that the product we've got is right for the audience we're trying to target. It's right for the, the, um, the, the part of the world we're trying to sell it to. So I'd probably spend that money making sure that all of that was absolutely spot on before then jumping into the marketing um, spend and everything else. But is it possibly to truly measure the impact of that um, improved market research? Uh, can you do any kind of split test possibly? Well, yeah. I mean, look, not to say that all the money has to go into market research, but I think um, for mine, it, I mean, you can. The, I guess it becomes a bit of a law of diminishing returns. I mean, you can only do so much market research before it's time to pull the trigger and actually, you know, get get something done. But I think at the end of the day, the you need as much research as you can to be as sure as you possibly can be that what you're doing is is, is effective. Um, sorry, all my colleagues are now starting to come That's into work. Um, <laughs> um, and so, um, yeah, look, I, I think, uh, as, and, and again, it's how long is a piece of string? How much do you spend before it becomes um, a bit of a law of diminishing returns? But I, I think, yeah, the market research side of things is still is still so important. So you have as much as much assurity as possible that what you're doing is right. Oh, nearly there, Ben. My number one takeaway. <laughs> and that is, um, so you've offered a lot of great advice in our conversation, but what would you say is the number one takeaway? Can you distill it down into one actionable step that our listeners can take away and implement in their business? Yeah, um, keep learning, I think, is the number one. Um, you know, 
there's uh, a company that's got the budget for uh, additional training and upskilling, then that's great. Um, at least try and set yourself a goal of doing one additional training course per year. Um, and, you know, try and do it in something that you're not familiar with. So if you are a social expert, try and um, do something in SEO or try and do something in website design or or even try and get a handle on, on display or just try and do something that is a bit outside your wheelhouse. Not to say that you'll need to become an expert in it, but at least you'll be able to, um, you know, speak the language of, of those particular experts. Um, there's also tons and tons of free resources out there for training. Um, you know, HubSpot have got um, a free academy. Well, sorry, it's not free. I think it's cheapish. Um, uh, Hootsuite have got theirs as well. Um, you know, guys like Moz do a lot of stuff. So I think there's always a lot of free resources out there. So I think um, just keep learning. Always keep your finger on what's going on. And, and also, more importantly, dedicate – uh, at least an hour or if you can uh, to your day where you can just sit down and dedicate that to, to growing your mind on what's happening. Great advice. Well, that takes us to the end of a discussion today. So thank you so much for your time and your advice. What's the, the best way for our listener to find out more about you and what you do? Yeah, sure. So um, come and visit us at uh, www.idcollective.com.au. Um, I'm also on Twitter, although I've got to say, Dave, I've been horrible on Twitter lately. I, I've I've only done a couple of tweets in the last couple of months and shocking. Um, but I am at uh, Ben Oliver Australia if you want to come and say hello there. Um, or feel free to say hello on uh, LinkedIn as well. Lovely. Okay. Well, thanks so much. So thanks to Ben and thank you, dear listener, too. If you have an opinion of what Ben shared today, tell us what you think. You can find the Facebook page at facebook.com slash digitalmarketingradio. And of course, you can write an iTunes review or any other good podcatcher review. Or if Twitter's your thing, at David Bain's my handle. Hopefully I can stick at Twitter. Plus, make sure you sign up to the mailing list at digitalmarketingradio.com and I'll let you know when we're next broadcasting live. But until we meet again, be fantabulous and do one thing that scares you. Adios. Thanks, Ben. Great interview. Thank you, David. Cheers, mate.